Um, so Matt, we talked about this for those that have been listening. Matt's gonna be uh, just kind of my my running mate. This this reoccurring guest. I, don't, I guess you can't be called a guest anymore. Yeah. But um, and today we also have Cody. What's up, Cody? So you have to. I know <laughs> there's off. There's like things that are said when when the record button's not lit up. You just had to share that thing real quick, Matt, that you just said a couple oh, moments ago. There's certain things that I mean, we were joking. That there's certain things that no matter how old you get, you're still like 13 in your mind. And for me, sometimes I'll just walk around my backyard and front yard. I live in the woods. I'll just grab like medium to small size twigs and just snap them in half. <laughs> Just to feel strong and throw them in the woods. Feel like four for like 20 seconds. So for the non-outdoorsy man out there that's like me, sometimes you just got to snap a few twigs. Do you feel big? Beast mode. Yeah. So. That, that visual is, is amazing. It's just I'd love to drive by a house one day and just see. It's like the Jedi kid. Remember that was a big thing? Yeah. yeah. The kid, like... The Jedi kid? Yeah. yeah he he like, had like he was, a broomstick or whatever. Yeah. yeah he was a... Uh, like a sports manager, he was in charge of videotaping the basketball team, and then he set up the camera and was just like doing like stick things, and then it went viral because somebody added like Star Wars effects to it. Yeah. So that no, was what that guy was doing. That, yeah. He was trying to feel manly, and then the internet ruined never his life. It, never put it on film. That's always <laughs> it's just a great rule of thumb. Never put it on film unless you really, really want to. Mm. All right, so we're gonna jump into some of this. So, um, we've talked about this, Matt. We we have a very unique friend group for those that don't know. We've all been college roommates. And almost all of us, actually all of us, except for you, Matt, we are in some kind of full-time um, ministry. We have another friend, Matt, who's getting ready to um, be a full-time missionary. So just we've had some conversations about this. What is it like being the guy in the friend group who's not a pastor? The, the friend group charity case is that the the official term that I am no it's uh it's it's interesting um, it is what it is in the end I mean I'm not gonna just become a pastor to be cool with my friends but uh, it's interesting to be able to see each and every one of you um, throughout your careers like grow and change and um, just look differently on the outside, act differently on the outside than when we were just in college and thought we had everything figured out for sure. And so it's it's interesting. I, I've never felt the uh, call to be in full-time ministry at all. So it was never something that there's like a, um, that I would feel like, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Just FOMO. Like, yeah, like I'm fear missing out. Uh, I definitely don't have that, um, but it is really, uh, it's really nice to be able to see everybody from this perspective, and I've actually had awesome conversations with each one of you guys, uh, you've con- kind of confided in me as like, what do you think about this as somebody that's outside of my cloth, or industry, or whatever, and so I can kind of give you the like, that's corny, or you know, that's no, that, you should do that, that's really great, and so... It's a cool. It's cool to be on this side of the uh, the aisle, so to speak. I mean, speaking in reference to Cody and I specifically, if we weren't pastors, what's the thing that you think you could see us doing? 
Well, I know me and Cody have talked a while. Like, if we... Uh, we all share the similar thing. I think we talked about the first episode. Like, we're content consumers as a... Just, um, just our personalities. And specifically... With Cody and I, we've always just had a, a sense for, for a long time, I mean, since we were, you know, 10 years old, had this kind of similar sense of humor, um, sometimes on color, a lot of times off color. And so there's a lot of shared looks where it's like, you see the joke in this situation and I do too. And so we've joked a little bit like, man, if we, you know, if we were a certain type of person, what it would have looked like after college to like move to New York City or to Chicago or Los Angeles and been like, let's try our hand at comedy writing or let's try our hand at stand up comedy or you know things of that nature. Get into that world because for me specifically, that intrigues me to no end. Mm-hmm. A lot of the podcasts I listen to and books I read are a lot on that um, from that perspective of either improv or comedy writing or just comedy in general. Um, on the show business side, it's always been interesting to me. Um, so I could definitely see Cody in a different world being, what do they call it, like a showrunner or an, uh, um, a writer for you know a sitcom or just doing something in the production of television or you know media content. So I'd say that for Cody for sure. Um, and then you said, I don't know, like if you weren't, I feel like if you weren't in the pastoral role, you know, your counseling bone would need to be it somehow. So I don't know if it would be like a guidance counselor at a school. I don't, um, have, I don't, know. I don't know if I have the patience for Or, you know, maybe somewhere in higher academics. <laughs> maybe a professor somewhere in that in that way. That's funny you say that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to be a college professor. Or like but, philosophy or something. Yeah. Yeah. He got the right kind of hats for the philosophy teacher. Got the right kind of face. Yeah. Yeah, philosophy face. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's what I would say is, you know, for me too, like similar to Cody, I think if it wasn't for my line of work and honestly, like I, I would never put my wife through the idea of me being a comedy writer or anything like that. If it was, if I struck out with, with her and was just a single guy out of college, I would have uh, maybe took a shot to... Uh, go somewhere different and just, you know, like I say, shoot your shot and see if you can make it in that industry. Hmm. All right, Cody. So you've been a worship pastor for how long now? Oh man. Um, full time from 2007. So whatever the math is on that 13 years ish. You're, you're proving Matt's point from a previous episode that pastors are not good at math. Hey, I did it right there. I just did it in my head. It was a good guess. That was right. What was it? How long? 13 years. 13. Years. 13. Yeah. All right. But uh, before that, I was traveling with the team. So, I mean, I've led worship since, you know, changing the CD in seventh grade and changing the overhead. People might be listening to this, but what are you talking about? The, the transparencies. I remember being the transparency guy, but I got to sing on stage in junior high. Wait a minute. We're not going to talk. We're not going to skip past the greatest single summer Christmas ca- or summer camp um, duet in the history of church with you and your brother, <laughs> like eight eight standing ovations in a row. Oh, what man. was that song called? What was the song? Uh, yeah. Pledge allegiance to the lamb. Pledge allegiance bro. to the lamb. By who was that? Who wrote Ray that? Bolts. Ray Bolts, very Ray famous Bolts. for a lot of reasons. Yeah, he's uh, he's really composer among other things. On, come out on his own. <laughs> <laughs> but Cody and his older brother Travis. Uh, 
were, oh man, oh man, how do I say this? They were, it, you know, for our youth group, which was a pretty sizable youth group, you know, 100 kids or so, and we had a, you know, the summer camp thing, but we didn't go to, uh, back when we were in school, they didn't have, if they did, we didn't go to them, those really fancy blow them out, uh, you know, summer camps for high school, junior high. We kind of did our own, and we did invite some other smaller churches, and a lot of the volunteers from our church have run them, so it was very down home and really fun. And and uh, Cody and uh, his older brother Travis were pretty much the only two people in our whole church that could sing and play guitar at the same time. So every summer it was like, what song are they coming out with? And pre-Trump, pre-Make America Great Again, they made America Great for a whole week singing this. I think you had to... Did you guys sing it a second time at the end of the week? It was so uh, good we brought you back. Know. I don't know, but it wasn't. It was before we were playing guitar. That was that was track. That was old school. Put the track on. All I know cue. is I was on my feet from second thirty to minute four, oh, um, with everybody else. Cody was just getting signing Bibles, <laughs> signing programs at the end of it, getting phone numbers, trying to trying to hit on the seniors. That's so yeah, that that was before we even talk about worship. That was my first memory of you in front of people oh, with your brother. Summer camp. Yeah, I remember that specifically because it was the one night, like I knew where I was going to sing, that I, I brought khakis to wear. Yeah. I remember that specifically. Like, oh, I'm going to wear this khakis and black shirt. Turn that swag on. Swagging with khakis Drip and it. black shirt. Just, yeah. just it was, they were probably Drip like it. the Abercrombie pants too. Like what? one pair of Abercrombies your parents would buy you? What? Abercrombie still didn't have a husky session so <laughs> I was probably shopping at Kmart at that time. <laughs> what year was that? Do you remember? Oh man, I was in junior high so I was, probably in, 90s. I was probably 8th grade so 98 and then Travis was probably like a junior. I don't and that, it's funny because I remember certain people there but I don't remember who they were. You just I remember, it. no, just, this is just, what's funny. I remember specifically, like, when that song hit really well and it was going well, that people stood up, but one of the first persons that stood up was a black woman. But I don't know who she is. That's in my memory. And I was like, there was no other black people at our church. I, I mean, that's just random. Maybe it was an but angel. she was a counselor. No, she was a counselor. <laughs> Maybe she was an angel. Maybe she was. I, mean, I just remember that specifically. <laughs> and that was like encouraging in a weird way like all right it's not just the white folk that are getting into this we got some soul up here ray boats knows how to write a soulful song we know that you said that there were no other black people at the church there's still no other black people <laughs> yeah at the church. well you're here i mean i'm the only one and, and you're so. holding it down yeah i'm holding it down all right so <laughs> what this uh, one of the things that happens you know i noticed this happened to you when someone asks hey what is it that you do and you say oh i'm a pastor and in your case I don't know how you answer that question. I don't know if you just say a pastor or a worship pastor. But when you say, I'm a worship pastor, what kind of reactions do you get? How would you answer the question, what is a worship pastor? Who is a worship pastor? What mm. do they do? Um, yeah, typically, if somebody asked me what I did, I would say typically a, a worship pastor. But that's if they're familiar with church. What I've, I've, I've realized, like, outside of the church, if somebody asks me what I do, I always say, oh, I do the music at our church. Because they have no idea the term worship in that context like what does that mean so um i'll just go through and and list some things like i meet with people raise up a team typically i have to describe that we're a church that has a band we're not i'm not just getting up and directing so putting the band together picking songs rehearsing songs discipling people you know 
that whole whole stuff and then the pastoral stuff comes in really whatever whatever's left whatever needs to be done is kind of I'm an associate pastor so I'm still a pastor on a staff which means I get dealt stuff that needs to be done by a pastor sometimes it's hospital visits sometimes it's meeting with people sometimes it's business meetings all the all the stuff I'm just not the main I mean I've preached as well uh, approached what's the word there the past tense preached I'm kidding approached uh, I know yeah, it's I like not approached. I think it's approached. <laughs> I think we should make that a term um, so really just it depends on who you're talking to because if you're talking to somebody that doesn't go to church I'm like, what do you do and and most of the time my jobs in the past have always included like the creative aspect as well which seems to be lumped in now a lot of times with the, the worship it's like the worship and creative part pastor or creative arts pastor which means worship included so graphic design video stuff mostly when you okay so from a biblical perspective we understand what the word pastor means we know where we get that from mm -hmm. talking about that directly out of scripture is there any is there ever a time where you being called a worship pastor when you think about your role is putting those two words together for you ever kind of like a head scratcher is that like like how how do we like is that just what's your thoughts about putting the term Worship, like you said, I do the music. So, mm -hmm. like, doing the music, leading teams, and putting a band together for the purpose of worship, and then putting it with the word pastor. Like, you mm -hmm. just said creative pastor. <laughs> like, I mean, that's yeah. just a term that seems like would be a head-scratcher for people who are even familiar with church more so than people who aren't. Yeah. So, I would say um, my role on a Sunday morning where the where the pastoring comes in, and really, this is a, this is a newer thing that I've I think I've learned from just some past senior leadership of when I'm on stage there's typically no other pastor on stage and I'm pastoring the congregation so that sometimes means a, a, just a quick word something about a song that we're singing praying for the congregation praying with the congregation and leading them and pointing them to Christ through the music part so that's where the pastoring I would say on a Sunday morning comes in but I would say most of the time people wouldn't include that they would think the pastoring part, like you hear about that all the time. I think you hear about people who are, oh, that guy's that guy's a great preacher, but he's not a good pastor. And I think that's a term that people that, if they're involved in church, know what that means. Like, oh, he doesn't talk to people or they're not friendly or whatever. So I think the pastoring as a worship pastor, it it's almost 90% off the stage. So, I mean, that should be the case for a worship leader, quote unquote. Um, as well, but you have to take that in the context of you need to um, be pastoring your congregation, not just the lead pastor, and not just the executive pastor, not just the youth pastor. They're a pastor to the congregation. No matter what their specialty is, it's all for the church, the same congregation. So that's kind of the, you know, you gave us the graduate um, level answer to worship leader, um, you know, being in it for... 13 years um, in different ways. I kind of want to go back a little bit. Um, so we joked about summer camp, whatever we want to call it, singing in front of, you know, on a track with your brother, uh, you know, bringing down the house. But talk about maybe your first, the first time either you felt a calling to it, um, worship leading, or just the first time you identified with the, the 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 
profession of it because, you know, just as a little backstory, I mean, just same as Cedric, you know, Cody's a PK too, preacher's kid. You know, in that, dad was not even, not just a preacher, but a music person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a soloist, a quartetist, quartet member, or I don't know what you'd call that. Um, quartetist. quartetist. I, I mean, that's a new one too. Quartetist. Proached. Uh, so a, we, so, he was a quartetter. Yeah, so we've got track. proached. Yeah. And we've got quartetist Here is a quiz and a quartet guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> choir director, all through the, the everything. Mother is soloist and everything. Very musical family. Older brother, kind of like a very easy, like very accomplished guitar player and singer. A very, uh, I would say, we are brother Travis. Like when you build a worship leader in a lab. His personality on stage and a lot of his mannerisms on stage and his silliness a lot of times on stage really is a unique thing. So it's like you have the dad that's singing, the mom that's doing the solo, and the older brother that at a young age is leading worship in big places. And then you being the youngest of all of them. Talk about, A, when you felt maybe like this could be something for me, or was it something to me, like, were you running from? Like, I'm not going to be like everybody else in my family. Mm-hmm. And then what it felt like to be in kind of a musical family. It's a big yeah. question. Yeah, I would say that um, I knew that I was a decent singer from a young age just because of being put on stage and people telling you, like, hey, like, I've been singing Basics of Life by For Him with my whole family and old school Gaither songs. Um, and being on stage, so I didn't. I wasn't. I never really had a nervousness about being on stage, and I knew that I could sing fairly well. But I would say my call into ministry probably started the summer uh, between my freshman and sophomore years, when I was at, uh, uh, I was a uh, counselor at Camp Choff here in Maslin, Ohio, and it really wasn't because of music. It was just that I knew that I was going to be called into ministry. And I, I thought then I was like probably missions or something, but I also like hesitated. I, I didn't want to not even just music. I felt like, um, my, my dad's a pastor, my brother's a pastor. I'm, I'm different. I'm not, I'm going to do something different. But when I was at camp that year, I saw how much, how many things I could do and it was ministry. So that's where that's probably the first time I felt like a, a pull to ministry. That's when I, I switched schools. I went to I, I enrolled in, in Liberty that summer. It was like July and I got into which is that's just funny now. Because Liberty was still so like ridiculous that they were just taking people and like putting them in in stand up, you know, tents or whatever outside trying yeah. to just fill the roster. Just trying to get students. Yeah. So I got accepted. I, I, I remember just getting accepted like in August and then leaving August 15th for, for school, which is hilarious. Um, so that was like the, the start. But I also, looking back, we I grew up in a traditional church. I didn't want to be a choir director. That was like, no, that's not, that's not me. So what other role with music could I do? And it just, I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't see that until I went to Liberty. And we got, I mean... Our worship team was full of ridiculous talent, and they were good, and they did modern songs, and they did, I just remember them playing Audio Adrenaline and all these songs, I'm like, man, they're really good. I mean, Meredith Andrews was the singer on the team. I mean, 
it was just ridiculous. And I think that was the first time I experienced, huh, there's churches that actually want this. That, But I still wasn't drawn to do it for a living or a calling. I kind of just did it because I knew I was good at it. That's how it started. That's really, oh, I would get asked by other people who were like, hey, can you come play here? Hey, can you come play here? And it was always one of those things. Even when I got on to um, Cross Culture, which was through World Help in Lynchburg, and we traveled and played weekends, and we set up and tear down at different churches, it still wasn't like, this is what I want to do. If if that thought came about, it was more like, oh, this is what I want to do, as in like touring. I want to yeah, play music. As an artist. I want to do this as an artist. That would be awesome. I want to make a band or whatever, make an album. But worship, it, it really, it really didn't click. I would say until my senior year in, in in Israel. I don't even know if we've ever talked about this. And I don't remember that dude's name who came with us. Me and me and Matt went to Israel. I think it was the Michael. I was just going to say it was Michael John or something. It was like I remember something his first like name being Michael. It's two very, first names name. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that. Um, but I remember him being there and just we had some brief conversations about what he did. And it was just like, that's me. I felt like, oh, that's me. And then I came home, and it was my last semester of school, and I was like, great, I've got a communications degree, what? and I feel like I'm called into ministry. Like, I feel like I was doing the wrong things. Like, ah. And you know, now, years, now years later, I look back and see just the sovereignty of God and see like I was supposed to get that degree because now I know PR, and I know advertising. I know I have all that in my back pocket, which has helped immensely at every job I've had. So God knows what he's doing. Um, it just took me a while to, to kind of give in. And I would say, I mean, a lot of that comes from pride. It was pride of like not wanting to be like my brother, like my dad, lumped in with that. I was just going to say, and going back, I mean, we were joking yesterday. I said something about college. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was college. It was like eight years ago. And you're like, ha, try 15. <laughs> like, you know, we think, you know, we think like it was just – a few years ago, but now we're a decade past college. And, you know, the landscape was a lot different worship-wise, I can tell you from even my perspective, because Hillsong was just kind of making it a thing. And before that, it was. It was like hymns, and then there was some some singer-songwriter stuff that was happening. But it was much, very much, like Cody said, like, it, it, you know, at least from our perspective and our worldview, like, worship leading was hymnal based or hymnal you know you know focused and so there wasn't a lot of room for an artist there wasn't you know a chris tomlin was probably maybe starting to come around that time but like there wasn't a lot of artists that were just pumping in like new worship songs every 18 months and now we have this world where that's a whole genre of christian music now and probably the one of the biggest if not the biggest and so to a guy coming out of college today, if Cody comes out of college in 2020 or goes into college in 2020, it's a much, wouldn't you say you would have a much clearer picture of what worship would be at a younger age because of, I mean, Liberty yeah. didn't even have a worship degree when you showed up, right? Yeah, right. When I, when I first started, that's the funny thing. I, when I first started at Liberty, they were, they I think halfway through, like maybe my sophomore or junior year, they put out like, oh, we have a worship degree. And so I remember I took two classes, and the first class was awesome. It was great. I remember that they had uh, Vernon Whalen, who's still there. 
And then Charles Billingsley came in and taught a class, and it was like the worship fundamentals or worship something. I can't remember. But it was awesome. And I remember writing papers, and it was great. And so then I took another worship class, and it was exactly the same. So they, they were still just trying to figure out what that looked like. And really, they've changed it a couple times because it's a weird blend. Like we talked about pastorship and what that looks like. Um, yeah. As a worship, so they finally combined it with the pastoral track and then music and trying to figure that out. But yeah, when I when I was growing up, the thing is that worship didn't necessarily how we look at it now. Worship music didn't necessarily exist. So we talked about we talked about Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin was probably putting music out, but it wasn't necessarily worship music. I remember my first album was Sonic Flood, and that was the first. I mean, my first worship album, and I was probably sixteen when that came out, and I was like. Well, this is pretty pretty cool, and I also remember the shift of like mainstream bands putting worship albums out, and I was like, "This is weird." Why like is audio? Ad- yeah, like Audio Adrenaline putting a worship album out. It's just weird. Well, it's funny you mention that because so from my perspective, being someone who's not an American, grew up in a culture where I'm using quotes, worship is something from even from a musical perspective, is something entirely different than mm-hmm. it is than it was even in that time period that the two of you were talking about, and even different today. And I remember, so all of us are the same age, we're all at the same university, we're all, re- we're all required to attend the same mandatory services. And I remember being an 18-year-old kid from the Bahamas and like kind of seeing some of that shift of what we now know today as modern worship, and I remember being confused by it. Because I remember feeling like... For some reason, everyone's making the song section before the preaching a bigger deal than I think I realize it is. And I didn't know what that was. Because growing up in the Caribbean, it's like, hey, you know, first of all, the music culturally is completely different. And but for, you know, growing up in even conservative settings, growing up in conservative churches in the Bahamas, the music, and I'm calling it that on purpose, wasn't even like thought of from a worship perspective it was like hey you know what you better sing to jesus before we preach to jesus <laughs> yeah it was like you better, you know I like and i remember being a pastor's kid you, i i didn't have the choice but i had to sing and it was like hey you better sing with all your heart to jesus yeah. because i mean and obviously i'm not making fun of that that's important yeah, no. but but from that perspective it wasn't like a hey you know i'm, I'm changing the tone of my voice on purpose it's not like the hey this is the worship time and we need to make sure the worship time is it has this and it has that and it sounds like this and it, and I'm not talking about from an excellent standpoint. I just remember being a young kid, being eight, nine, ten, even through high school, it was like, hey man, you better sing to Jesus and sing as hard as you can. And you talk about black lady standing up while you're singing. There ain't no harmonizing. There ain't no. You just sing and you sing until the preacher stand up and that's it. And like so, the concept, even for me as a pastor, and even for me as a pastor here in this country, sometimes. There's still an internal tension about some of the, the the, the big dealness that that people make about worship, and I'm not in any way saying that it's not important. I understand. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the role of worship pastor, but it's interesting that we were all kind of present at that shift and viewing it in different ways. Because yeah. for me, from a cultural perspective and a learning perspective, there was so many things that I I didn't even. I remember the first time I saw like lights and smoke. At Liberty, and I was just like, "Oh, word! We about to have a show." I didn't know it was like, and it was it was worship songs, and then the dude preaching. I was kind of like, "Oh, I thought that was gonna be a concert. I didn't know that was the that was the singing before the preaching." I remember like, "All right, I, I'm 
not sure what that was, but I, I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm down to ride with that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say too. Like it's interesting why I think we all in different reason or for different aspects hold our time at liberty so um, so close is because of what we learned and what we saw and I think from the outside looking in you think of like big biggest evangelical Christian university in the world or whatever the, the, the tagline is but what we what we witnessed a lot of times and I can say this for sure is like when you say evangelical Christian or you just say Christian that that umbrella is a pretty big umbrella when you actually get beside each other. Mm. And I can, you know, growing up at the same church that Cody grew up in, you know, you just think like, that's Baptist church. Like, we do the Baptist things. And, you know, you got a buddy that's a Catholic and he gets married. You go, okay, that's a Catholic church. They're, they do it a certain way. Um, but then when I went to Liberty and we had convocation, which was like our Monday, Wednesday, Friday church service, it was mandatory. And I remember my first year, you know, and it's 10 a.m. into a college kid that was might have been may as well have been 6 a.m. Everybody's just like pulling stuff out of their eyes, just barely waking up, getting there on time. And you know, I'm thinking like my experience at you know at West Hill in a Baptist church is like the first song is kind of like, all right, get up, you gotta warm up. You know, you're kind of stretching a little bit, you're singing a little bit, but you're kind of just leaning into the the service. And the second song is like, all right, I'm getting there. Then you shake some hands and you're happy. And by the third song, okay, I'm worshiping. Okay, I got it. And then, you know, offering, sit down, preach. And then, you know, we're go ahead in the golden crowd or whatever. And so you had this kind of system in your mind of like, that's what church is. And I still remember one of the first, it may have been the first, but it was one of the first convocations I went to. Um, and I just was sitting down and they were opened up with a song. And there was a guy, like a row or two in front of me and to the left, that like, as soon as the guitar started playing, he almost hit the ceiling and shot up. And my man was moving. My man had he was doing. He had a three piece dance move he was putting on, and he knew the chorus was coming. And if he had a flag, he'd been waving it. And I was like, "Whoa, how'd this guy catch the spirit in the first song? Like, this isn't supposed to happen for three or four songs. Like, there's a build up here." Or you know, you had other people who were just just would worship it such a unashamed, loud, physically and, like, Demonic just sound-wise. Yeah. And it shocked me. And I was like, whoa, what are, where are these, like, are these people, like, exchange students? Like, this isn't Jesus. Like, <laughs> these kids got it from another country. And then you find out, like, no, 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 I'm just from Georgia, but, like, our church worships like this, and we get going. Like, worship at our church, our service is two hours long, and worship is an hour long, and we get after it. And so... Seeing the different types of worship from somebody than this side was like, it was like, it almost made me embarrassed for them in a way to be like, hey, stop doing that. We're not supposed to be doing that yet. Somebody's going to yell at you, like sit back down and you're like, get, get out of the aisle, get in your seat. And so learning all of that stuff at Liberty was, it was interesting to me um, and, and seeing how different people worship and like, you know, we had during our last couple of years, our Wednesday night service like went from just exploded and there was six or 7,000 people going to it. And the worship was like people were going hours ahead of time and reserving seats. And a lot of it, well, yes, the preaching was fantastic. It was of course, but the worship was just at a level of discovery where it was like, they were taking chances that I think nobody was used to seeing because they were looking at that Hillsong model and saying, okay, if they can do that, how can we, 
how can we do that in our own way? And it was, so it was really cool to kind of be at that place where worship, I feel like, changed while we were in school greatly. Yeah. I mean, from when I started, and, you know, and when I left, and now it seems like, I don't want to make a comment on modern worship, but it seems like that was the crux from like that 06 to 08 range where it's like, wow, we could really, creativity can can take its place in this area of the service. And I think I, we, we swing a little bit past that. Sometimes we go a little bit too far sometimes now because of the, the open door policy of it, but. So, I mean, so walk us, I mean, Cody, walk us through the importance of worship, like from, mm-hmm. from the perspective, from your role as a worship pastor, like walk yeah. us through, I mean, and if you can do it in a way to where for those that are listening that know exactly what you're talking about, would be able to understand and resonate. Yeah. But also there's going to be people who still don't, uh, don't necessarily know what that means. Yeah. So walk us through what's the, why, why is it important? Well, you know, I, that's a big question. I think the that a lot a lot of people still think a lot of a lot of lead pastors will think almost kind of kind of like what you said it's like the music before the message um i've heard this i've heard the term i think i've used the term i'm the worship is to set the table to get ready for the word and not that i completely disagree with that i think there's something for that I think that does do a warming of the heart and like prepares people, softens hearts, and maybe maybe even just a comfortable atmosphere. But that's not the primary focus of worship. Um, the 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 whole point of worship is not about us. And I think the the biggest thing um, that has has changed, I think, in recent years, is that focus so I'm saying um, as human nature does this it's easy to fall into man that worship was good it felt good this was good Um, as opposed to man our God is good man he is excellent and or man that worship wasn't that great today or what and and I think it's it's easy to that don't get me wrong I do that all the time (laughs) but as mature believers, we should be able to worship at the drop of a hat. If someone's up there with an acoustic guitar with a broken string, God is worthy of our worship no matter what. So I think that's the basis of worship and what it should look like. That is that is from the congregational standpoint. So there's on the on the leader's part, I think that we always have to put our best foot forward. So um, excellence is key always and trying to trying to do your best i mean you're you're trying to do your best for god so just executing and doing well in that is is a big deal and so i think those are the biggest things to think about and you kind of go back a little bit too so i know cedric is asking your kind of some big worldview questions my job or my my goal here is to kind of unpack your journey a little bit you know so we were in college together, uh, living in this, just to give a little bit of backstory, living in this hilarious house that was like 6,000 square foot, but <laughs> if a strong wind hit it, we'd be all toppled over. Um, the kitchen, we used to play wiffle ball in. Oh, man. But the kitchen, if you put an, if you put a tennis ball in the back of it, it would roll all the way to the front door. And so we were in this terrible but awesome house that was huge. 
and just honestly, uh, some of the best years of our lives. And, and so, but also I saw Cody and Josh were at the stage where Josh was starting to, I want to moonlight's the wrong word, but he was starting to preach guest preach in, in mm-hmm. certain places. He was getting some, some reps as a preacher and, um, actually running some, doing some youth stuff and, and same with you, you were, you were getting some access and when you graduated, you know, you kind of had a, a choice to make, um, um, and, and you decided to take a full-time job. And so, not to steal your story, but what was it like going from traveling with career musicians on a worship team all over the country to your first job in Blacksburg, Virginia? Uh-huh. Like, share kind of where you what your first where you cut your teeth, your first full time ministry job. Yeah. The, uh... I was, I mean, I can tell you right now, I was incredibly spoiled on Liberty, on Liberty Mountain, as I say. There were so many incredible musicians, and if you couldn't get someone, someone else knew somebody who played electric, who played keys, who played whatever, to fill in. So when I moved to Blacksburg, I went into a church uh, that was running about 75, um, and it didn't have a, have a worship guy anymore. He stepped away or something. I don't even remember the situation there. Uh, there was a team in place um, it consisted of just, I mean, for whatever it's worth, this isn't criticism, just average players. They didn't, they weren't really in bands or anything like that. They just were supplemental players. And um, that was something I, that was kind of a culture shock, kind of hard. Um, it also was that I was a 23 year old and then I was probably, besides some of the singers, the youngest on the team. So I was in charge of some strong personalities that I was I just wasn't used to doing that. So that was a big learning curve. Um, and I, just re- I remember talking to my dad and being like, hey, there's a guy on my team who's a captain in the Air Force. He was the interim guy before I got there. And so he talks a lot and suggests a lot. And some of his suggestions I'm not, I don't really agree with. <laughs> and he was like, well, just, just call him out on it. Just, just, you're the, they hired you. They didn't hire him. And so I just remember being like, okay, almost like the fake it till you make it. Like, this is my confidence here. But I had to talk myself into it. And then I realized I, I did. I knew what I was doing. I knew how to I knew how to lead a band. I knew how to, to recruit a band. I knew, I knew how to do it. And I was just nervous about it. So that was a big learning curve. I mean, that first year, I was still pulling people from Lynchburg. I, I would bring in some girl singers. I would bring in one of my buddies who played guitar and sang just because there were some weeks where it was bare bones i mean it was a church plant set up tear down every week i mean at one point my wife and i sang in your little choir thing you had oh I, my goodness, know I forgot was. about that yeah we we were just there for a weekend you and you were like hey just so you know i'm gonna need a couple extra voices in the in the i don't even know if you call oh, it a man, choir cor- but yeah i didn't but, corral yeah i don't even know yeah so i was pulling people any to any any way which way which isn't sustainable it's a good thing for a, for a time to elevate uh, the team, um, but it was a hard learning curve because I wanted it to be great and I wanted it to be excellent. I wanted it to be liberty. I wanted it to be what I saw at liberty, and that was impossible. It was just impossible to replicate that. So it it kind of over the years I realized, and it took a lot. It took hours of learning and stumbling and failing and falling to recognize that. 
even as a church plant, you can you can want to be excellent, you can want to be have whatever. It's so much better though to be authentic to who you are. So if you're a church of seventy, why are you going to have a full time huge band? Do what you're good at. What are you good at? I don't know. Look around and see what you have and put it together. So those were the the things I learned that first year that were very very valuable that I would have never learned in a classroom. Would have I, never. I think that's something that in full time ministry is a constant learning thing because you it's hard to fight the temptation of looking and seeing what how somebody else does it i mean sometimes that's good because you learn a lot of things by doing that Mm -hmm. as well but the whole idea of learning to use what you have it's not that's it's sometimes easier said than done and not just from the worship side but even from the pastoral or the speaking side like this whole idea of you know what we don't have our communicators are not like the communicators at some of the other churches that we've seen or even some of the other churches in our community, but mm-hmm. learning how to use who God has given you, but not just use who God has given you, develop them. I think that we sometimes, we we get to a place where we just fall back. We kind of throw our hands up. We're like, well, I guess this is what we have. We'll just go with it. And you know, whatever comes out, comes out. And I think, no, we need to, one, be content with who we have, but at the same time, develop who we have so that we could do things with excellence so we can we can be better at mobilizing the gospel we can be better at the way our services are structured we can be better at um, putting people in a position to hear the truth of god whether that's because of a musician you know that is skilled in one area or not or saying we don't have an electric guitarist so we're not gonna have music that requires an electric guitar mm-hmm. so i think that's important to to remember yeah though I mean, I've got that first year I mean I just told you the overview but I mean I remember specifically one time it was I was just trying to find a drummer and the the bass guy was like oh I know a drummer and I was like okay cool can you call him and get him there and like yeah and that was at rehearsal so that was the Thursday before Sunday so the guy couldn't come there he was gonna just meet us on Sunday he came and the dude had two lessons under his belt and I could play drums better than him, and I cannot play drums. It was so. I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm three months in to this full time job, and I'm and I have a guy that doesn't know how to play drums sitting behind a drum set. And I remember like, okay, hey, how about we get rid of this and you play a djembe, and you just are counting like one, two, hitting it. And that's what we did that morning. And I remember being so stressed. And then what's what I've I found in time after time after time. Literally, and I think any worship leader will agree with this, the times where you think and you're so stressed and things didn't go the way that you thought and you wanted are the times where people come up and be like, man, it felt good today. It felt like, not not like, man, that song or not that your voice sounded good. I mean, there was just a spirit. And I think it's because there's times where you reach your point where you're like, I can't do this. And then God's like, yeah, exactly. Let me let me handle it. Like, you don't have to worry about it. And so that's the balance that you have, it's always a constant struggle of trying to be excellent and doing your excellent and doing the prepa- uh, the preparations and doing everything, but then realizing it 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 doesn't matter if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and He does the work. So there's a there's a balance there. You have to always continually check yourself and not get productiony too quick. Uh, it's just a hard. It's a it's a weird back and forth. It's a tug of war, to be honest. And I remember um, 
so when you took the job in Blacksburg, Blacksburg happened to be like 50 minutes from where our, we were in school. And so I was still in undergrad. And I remember a lot of weekends going and seeing you and uh, kind of seeing in a lot of ways like your, I don't want to say ego, but like just your, just some bruising of like what you expected it to be <laughs> and what it actually was. And we had yeah. a lot of late night Halo runs. Hate for hate kids for hate for you. Halo was a game twenty years ago that people used to play. Yeah, know. Um, but uh, it's like Call of Duty, but in space. Um, Get that needler. <laughs> <laughs> but we would, I would come up, and it was just you know, I will say that you know, of all the things that I lack in spiritual gifts, the one thing I have is the ability to hang. And so sometimes I knew I just needed to be around my buddy because he was in a foreign city and at a church that was slowly maybe taking his will to live away. Uh, <laughs> and But learning, just learning on the job. Because, you know, the same thing in my industry, what I do for a living, you know, I went to college, I have my degree in finance. Like, I don't use a lot of the, I'm not pulling out my, uh, my global economics book and being like, oh, this is what I'm going to learn today from this market. Like, it's a lot of on-the-job stuff that mm-hmm. we, we learn, and a lot of it is that tearing away of the myth of, like, oh, man, I'm going to, this church, I'm going to sing, and then everybody's going to show up, and then they're going to just keep giving me raises, and then I'm going to build a house, and then I'm going to have all the scarves in the world. <laughs> and this is what I assume as worship leaders think. That um, happened, no. <laughs> So it was just looking back at that time. I know, like when you were growing in that space, when it was literally you. And I remember you had a guitar player that was like, as far as his view of guitar was like Bon Jovi, eighties hair metal. So he was always like looking at you, like let me give me like thirty seconds to rip. I don't know if you said that, but like the idea of like you trying to mix with these people, and then, but what was cool was. Going back the next year and going back the next year and then going back the next year, I always try to make it out once a year to Blacksburg, even when I moved to Ohio. And then, you know, this is probably one of your last years there when Maria came, because I remember my, my oldest son was like a baby, like a like a one-year-old. Hmm. So it's probably six years ago. And uh, going to that sermon and seeing the what the worship team looked like then and it was it was actually really funny because you had like a trombone player you had a violin player you had you kind of had like a this cross section of all of these different instruments and the stage was full like talk about that journey from like where you were which was like frustrated and just taken on the chin every Sunday Mm -hmm. to like where was the turning point for you to be like how do I if I'm, a, if I'm a chef, I'm looking at the ingredients in my pantry. How do I how do I make the best meal as possible for worship, not just like make the meal that I think I want to make? Yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I mean, uh Phil, if you're if you're listening, buddy, I love that trombone. Uh but I mean that specifically I remember I remember him coming up to me and saying, Hey man, I I play the trombone, I would love to play and I would I didn't know what to say. I was like uh, we don't have a, we don't have a brass section. He's like, no, I can get up, and I was like, okay, just come to practice. So I mean, that is funny, but that is typically how it happened. Like I had a because we had such a sparse worship team at the beginning, I had a come all mentality. So if you thought you could play, if you thought you could sing, I welcomed you to practice, 
and then we would have conversations and then I had to have some hard conversations with people that was probably the first I mean I didn't even go into that the hardest part was stepping into a team that already existed and telling people that they like needed to do something else that was easily the hardest thing I did that first year as a 23 year old telling a 40 year old woman you probably should work in the children's ministry or do something else because it's just not your thing I didn't say it like that obviously I said, get off the stage, woman. No. Yeah. Uh, so that was easily the hardest part. But I would say, you know, it's in, it's it's even cool hearing you say that now that you recognize, because I recognize, I recognize the growth in, in, in seeing that. And, I, and I, I would love to take all the credit in the world, but our, we had such a great team that poured into people that people wanted to be involved. But our worship culture was something that was very, I know it's a trendy word, but organic. We... I try. I'm. I'm not a stickler for long practices. I. I like to hang out as a group. I wanted us to be friends and not just hey, we play music at the church. And so I think that lended into people wanted to be involved. So when people came and they saw the worship, and we also we wanted to be good. So it set it naturally set the pace of uh, almost like an an instant filter to people who were like um. No, they're better than I can be on that team. They acted, it acted like that. But the people, it attracted talent then. Like, oh, they're playing at a different level. Maybe I could go and try to be on this team. And so we grew that way. Um, and I never, I always had a, like I said, a, a come on mentality. I wanted a lot of people because I, if somebody thought they had a gift, I wanted to send them out. I wanted to hear about people playing and leading worship after they left our church because we were a transient uh, community because of Virginia Tech. So, and that's happened, which is, I mean, that's not, I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but I consider that such a success when somebody left our, our worship team and then moved to South Carolina and then jumped onto the worship team there and they, they were on the team doing it because they had almost a, a crash course in what worship looked like. And that's, that's a success to me. Um, and I, that's the thing I love to look back on and, and even go for. I was just going to say. Um, and for those wondering, uh, that trombone player could go. <laughs> he was he was moving, and that, that yeah, little, man, what's the thing that comes dude, out? What's that called? I don't know. Trombone, the, the, the slide the thing slide, for the trombone. Yeah, slide. This dude was moving like he was on the front line of the Mardi Gras parade. Oh, Five Iron Frenzy. Yeah, That's what he, he was going. So yeah. it was like it was interesting because it was like I've never seen a trombone anywhere near a worship set. And then he was doing it like it was the song was built for him, mm -hmm. and so it was really cool to see that excitement and you know just to dovetail a lot of stuff. I mean, I identify with sports um, because that's the lens that I view a lot of things through. And like you see a worship team like that, where you now you, like it's like you were building not just a team, but you're building like an organization where um, there's a selfless manner and you know leadership from that perspective. Worship teams that have leadership, they follow the leadership of the person in charge. And so if it is a personality-driven thing, similar to, let's say, um, uh, you know, a leader that's hard-charging, like a, like a Michael Jordan who expected a lot, and if you didn't give it to him, he would literally punch you in the face. <laughs> Ask Steve Kerr at a practice. Like, he was a person that was demanded excellence, and if he didn't feel like you gave it to him, he would get in your face, and he, if you couldn't give it to him, he'd kick you off the team or just exile you till you were basically left off any kind of rotation. But then you see other people who re lead teams 
like I always th- think of, I love basketball, but I look at like a Tim Duncan who, you know, was this leader and won five championships, but very rarely talked, wasn't the loud guy. He was the tall, I mean, he would play power forward, probably the greatest power forward of all time. But he was a very quiet leader, but everybody who played for him was like, the way that he handled me, the way that we talked, the way, made me want to just, just lay my whole body on the line mm-hmm. for the team, and and so there you see these different types of worship where these people would come and play on the Spurs and they would look like the best player they've ever been. They've had the best years of their careers, and then they would leave and they'd be a scrap of themselves what they mm-hmm. were the, the Spurs, and it's because the leadership they had and the trust that they had in each other in that group. You would see that you know Tim Duncan, yes, as a superstar, but a lot of the guys on his team were interchangeable for their um, for their championship run. So, kind of that mentality I see in your group, where you were you were leading, you were the under, like everybody knew like the buck stopped at Cody, but it wasn't like, all right, everybody, be quiet because I'm gonna, this is my spot to go, you know, take over. You had other people singing, you had other people playing instruments, you like it was. I could see the joy in you to like, hey, I'm gonna. I'm, for this song, I'm just going to, for the basketball term, like, I'm going to set picks and get rebounds. I don't let somebody else score. <laughs> and I'm going to find enjoyment in that. And, and and so that's a muscle that a lot of times I don't see in worship because it is a personality-driven. It is a skill-driven thing. And the person in the front is generally the one with the paycheck. So it's tough to be able to lead from that backside. Yeah, I, I thank you for saying that. I mean, that's, it's a weird, I mean, to be, I, I don't want to sound critical, but I think it's weird to be honest, when a worship leader only sings. Like, I'm the guy when it's... I, I, and I understand he's the guy that's paid, he's or the girl that's paid. They're almost paid for their voice. And so and I, there was a time where I struggled with that. Maybe in those first couple of years where, like, I wanted other people to sing, but I also felt like an, an my own pressure. There was never from a, a lead pastor that I had to lead every song because I was getting paid. It was a weird sensation. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had a prayer session, if you want to call it that, um, during a Sunday school time. And I, I, I love those. I think it's important for us to pray together as a, as a congregation corporately on a Sunday morning. And I can't tell you how many times I have the pressure of like, wait a second, but I'm employed, quote, to preach, not just to set, not just to lob prayers over <laughs> a plate so people can can knock them out of the park. And I, I know what you're talking about. Or even using other people. I have conversations like this one mm-hmm. with people that are not pastors, that are not even lay ministers, they're not in ministry. But I'm like, man, this thing right now would be so valuable if I could put you on the stage and share this with other people. But I don't know if I'm allowed to yeah. do that. I don't know if that's okay because you're not the pastor and I am. And I, yep. I, I, I understand that um, completely. And the... The point that both of you made about the person, and I guess this is, you know, from the pastoral side of things, that sometimes things get a little bit tense, is sometimes you look out into the crowd, or you're sitting in the crowd as the pastor, and you see people being moved emotionally by the music, by the composition, by the words of the song, and I'm not saying that that's bad, that's that's good. A lot of the songs that we sing are reflective of the truth that we believe mm-hmm. in scripture and who we believe in the person of Christ. But at the same time, sometimes to your point about being paid for or just a hired voice, sometimes I feel like people miss 
out on the ministry of the person that's leading the worship. Hmm. And I think that because I'm in the pastoral role and, you know, I have a relationship with our minister of music, our worship leader. I have a relationship with you, Hmm. Cody, so I know your heart. But I feel like sometimes there's a disconnect because people don't view you as the worship pastor in a similar capacity as me as the teaching pastor. And they just, they connect with your ability to sing a song that makes them feel a certain way Mm -hmm. as opposed to connecting with the heart, the pastor's heart that you have that you were leading them through, through song. And I guess, you know, if, if it's a, if I'm, if I'm speaking to the heart of, of the congregation and sometimes I fall in that category as well, is we miss out on the on the the shepherding the pastor's heart of the person that's just gifted by God so to speak in this way to sing a song to play music and you're more than just a voice you are pastoring you you alluded to it earlier pastoring through that through that avenue yeah I've I've I mean I've encountered numerous times where it's I, I remember specifically what's funny about this is I remember preaching maybe my third time at North Star maybe I can't I can't actually remember where where it was my first church or the same church but I remember there was a certain couple who always called me Cody called me you know thanks for leading this worship they're great people but I remember after I spoke they called me Pastor Cody the rest of the time and I was like I was always a pastor that's weird what changed with huh. there's just a connection to that but I also realized that the pastoring I mean, 10%, less than 10%. If you do the math, I mean, how much are you on stage? If you're playing a church that has four services, you're still on stage, what, 5% of your job? So 5% of your job is spent on stage. The bulk of everything is off stage. So the same way as a preacher, like people, I think there's an automatic built-in when somebody teaches, and it's like, man, they have like a respect. But the pastoring really comes from seeing somebody at the hospital going over and remembering somebody's name and saying man i'm gonna pray for you this week or that's the whole and i think once worship leaders get that i think there's a lot of people that don't get that and i'm talking to worship leaders worship pastor whatever your title is that if you miss out on that like i'm the guy that does music and then i sit in the green room like that happens a lot which is sad because when when you engage people's hearts and and minds and you come out and you remember people's names you remember their kids names they're gonna follow you on a Sunday morning, like even if they're like, "Oh, I, don't, I hate this song," but I, I, I trust him. I trust him. That's where it comes from. I just thought yeah. that I just talked that out, but trust. I like it. 